Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. As you give this morning, I'd like you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 54. We're going to be looking at a very obscure passage of Isaiah and also a very famous passage this morning as we take, and I hope you'll give me uh, your patience, as we take a different route to the child in the manger this morning on Christmas Sunday. Um, I want to be one of those preachers that changes the narrative. I love gifts. I love giving gifts, and I like getting gifts. And the older I become, the more that comes into balance. As a child, I loved getting gifts. But now I've become more the enjoyment of the moment. And I want us to know that Christmas, it's okay that Christmas is about gift giving. It is. Now, it can get nuts, but it's always been about gift giving. If God hadn't given us Jesus, we wouldn't have Christmas. And that gift changed everything. So let's celebrate the fact that we have moments in our life where we can be generous and we also have moments where we can be blessed by people's generosity. Amen? So let's bring Christmas back on point. It really is about gifts. There's a story told by a missionary in her biography that a young African boy listened as she taught him about Christmas and about gift giving and he asked why Christians gave gifts at Christmas and she said, it's because of our joy. We were given such a gift in Jesus that we want to bless other people with gifts too. When Christmas came, the boy came to her hut and he knocked on her door and he presented her a beautiful seashell. Where they were located in Africa was a long ways away from any place where you could find seashells. So she asked him, where did you get it? And he said he walked about 12 miles to find the spot and he picked her out the most beautiful seashell he could find and she gave him a hug and she said, you should not have gone all that way to get me a gift. And she said she always remembered his shy little smile, and he said to her these words, the long walk was a part of your gift. I want you to think about that. As we take a long journey to the cradle where Jesus would be laid, I want, just, I want us to remember this day, the long walk he took was a part of his gift. Let's see if this makes sense in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 54, verses 1 through 5. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called God of all the earth. Isaiah is speaking to a group of people, as Michael addressed last week, who live in a world that is not as it should be. When Michael said that last week, I wrote it down immediately because it just... It resonated in me that sometimes Christmas is made this really happy moment where everything's a Norman Rockwell picture or a Charlie Brown cartoon. 
And yet for the majority of us in this room, Christmas is bittersweet, isn't it? Because even this Christmas, we're going to remember people we've once celebrated Christmas with who are no longer with us. Christmas is not all smiles. Sometimes it's tears, but it's still Christmas. Because we remember the gifts that we've received in people, in relationships. And so Isaiah gives a prophecy to a nation that's in struggle, a nation that's in captivity. This is not the way it should be. The world is not the way it should be. And what good news do we have to offer to a world that is lonely this Christmas, that's hurting this Christmas, that's disappointed this Christmas? Church, I need you to know, we should not hang our heads. We have the news of a gospel gift. And it's not for later. It's a gift for right now. So what does Christmas say or offer a gift to the discouraged heart? For us to understand this, I want to look at Isaiah 54, verse 1, one more time. Sing, O barren woman. That seems oxymoronic. How can this motherless or this childless mother sing? But sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who never were in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. If we're going to understand this prophecy, you and I have to be able to move from our Western mind to the days of Isaiah when it was very important what childbearing meant to the culture and to a woman. It's different than it is today. We manage our birth. I want two children. I want a boy and a girl. I want it in that order. I want them this stage this far apart. In the days of Isaiah, that wasn't the case. Let me tell you why. Because the number of children completely determined the fate of your family. It's status in society and it's economic security. Let me simply put it this way. The more kids you have, the more hands you have to do the work of the family. Secondly, if you got old and didn't have adult children to live with, you could literally starve to death if there was no one to take care of you in your age. And thirdly, if your tribe wasn't having lots of children, the tribe next door could grow larger in population and dominate yours and take your property and possessions from you. It happened all the time. Read your Old Testament. So when the prophet cries out to the woman who cannot contribute to the safety and security of her lineage, and he cries out and says, I'm bringing you a gift that will allow you to sing in your barrenness, that will allow you to sing songs of praise when you can't protect your own. Children represented value, worth, beauty, and honor. They gave a woman a place. Read the Proverbs about the Proverbs woman, and you'll find out that it was connected to having family and caring and providing. So listen to me what I'm telling you the gospel is telling us in this passage in Isaiah 54. God is saying that there's value, worth, beauty, and honor available apart from whatever that thing is you and I have been told we need. To the mother who has no children, God says, I will bring you a value and a beauty that children cannot provide you. To those that don't have finances, God is saying, I can give you a value and beauty beyond what you possess. To those who have no reputation or no accomplishment, who struggle and are lonely and bitter and broken, listen to the good news of the gospel. If you are a, uh, just find the image. If you are a mother without children, God says, I have something even for you. And what I'm going to give you is, make, is going to make you greater than any mother who's had a thousand children. Your tribe will be bigger. Your land will be greater. And you will possess what I desire you to. Why? Because of verse 5. Your maker is your husband. The God of the universe will not leave us in a condition of discouragement. 
He will rescue us. He will save us. He will give us more than whatever that thing is we think we're missing. The gospel message is God has something for you. I was thinking back to the series that we did previous to this about the characteristics of God and what, how it blesses us and how we should be grateful for it. Back on November 1st, Michael said that to be delivered is to be moved from one condition or place to another. So I'm going to ask you a question, church. I'm going to be curious of your response. Has your God delivered you from a place of discouragement to a place of hope? And that's good news, even on a dark Christmas, that there's hope, that our maker is our husband, that he can provide. So let your heart be loved in a new way. Don't let the world dictate to you what you think you need or must have to be a value of beauty, of honor, because God says, I have more in store for you than the world could ever give you. And that gift would be Jesus. You see, there's also a gift for the damaged heart. This is for the one who has done things to themselves. There will some that will be lonely this Christmas because, truth be told, they did it to themselves. They broke up their family. They violated trust. They segregated themselves from companionship and loneliness to pursue selfish means. We've all done it. And so life's not what it's supposed to be. If you'll turn back to Isaiah 53. I'd like to begin in verse 4 and show you another part of this prophecy that Isaiah is delivering to a discouraged, damaged people. We're going to read verses 4, 5, and 6, and then we'll jump down to 10 and 11. Surely he took up our infirmities. This is the famous passage. And carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord got or the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Well, Merry Christmas. Seems a strange passage to talk about on Christmas Sunday. But remember, the long journey is a part of the gift. It's what makes it more meaningful and personal that Jesus would take such a long, arduous journey for you and for me and for us. All through the Old Testament, there was a promise from Genesis 3 on that there would be one who would come and save us from ourselves. Like the ark saved Noah's family, this one would deliver us from one condition to another. The wounded, or shall I say correctly, the self-damaged. The disappointed in themselves, not the world. The ones who have no one to blame but themselves. And I count myself as one of those. In Isaiah 40, the servant of the Lord makes his first appearance. He appears again in verses, or chapter 42, 47, 50, 53, 54, and going forward. There is one coming, and he will be our gift. And he will bring an end to violence by receiving all the violence of the world 
in one of the most catastrophic moments in history. Remember, the walk, the long walk, is a part of the gift. Verse 8 says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Oppression, judgment. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. I was told in the Hebrew language that this describes it's the most powerful, painful words in the Hebrew language are used to describe what would happen in this long journey to bring us the gift. So how could this be the chosen one, rejected of God? Well, verse 10 says, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord and through the Lord make his life a guilt offering. The Old Testament speaks of guilt offerings regularly. What would happen is you and I would admit that we had, we had broken the law of God or we had crossed God's will with our own. And in those moments, we would be, if we were broken by our sin, we would take something of value of us, an animal, and we would take that animal's life and spill its blood to no benefit of us but to admit to God that we have destroyed something in our sin. And that offering would be offered to God. And God would acknowledge that. If done sincerely, God would acknowledge it as a statement from our heart that our sin should cost us something. And it would. In verse 4, he says, He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. The repentance, the remorse, the rejection. So how do we make sense of all of this? Well, I want to take you to Acts chapter 8. And if you look with me at Acts chapter 8, this will be a familiar story to us. But it's really a story of Christmas in one of the weirdest ways. You see, there was this African man in Acts chapter 8 from Ethiopia. He was a eunuch. In other words, he had been castrated to serve the king or queen. And the reason they would often do this is castration would allow that this man could not impose upon the queen or threaten the queen in any immoral way. So this African man had gone all the way from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship. Now, here's a probability. I can't say for certain, but it's a strong probability in my research that this Ethiopian, this African man, could not have worshipped God in Jerusalem in the temple area because he was castrated. So he traveled all that way, that long journey, as a black man through all of this region to worship in this city and not be allowed to. And one day, he's sitting there and he opens the scrolls of Isaiah and he's reading them sitting there. Verse 30, Acts 8. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explain it to me. Well, I've read Isaiah. I know exactly what he's talking about. What is he talking about? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Imagine how electrifying this was to this man who was different and who lived in a different part of the world, to read this passage about one who came and took the broken, discouraged heart and gave it hope. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I want you to pause there for a moment. And I want you, I want you to hear what the answer to the discouraged heart is. The good news of Jesus. 
It answers all the riddles. It fills in all the gaps. It explains the questions of why am I here? What is going on? And will this world ever get better? The good news of Jesus. You see, this Ethiopian realized that God was not going to ask him to pay God back. God said, I'll pay it myself. And therein lies the long journey being a part of the gift. You see, people who want to be moral, here's the issue. We have a perfect God who expects perfection. So when they think of God, all they can think of is their own imperfection, and they become frightened. So they try to do more and more and more and more hoping that they'll do better than they've ever done before. And in that moment, God will dismiss all of the past failure. But Jesus never offered hope to the moral person. And then there are others. Theologians call them universalists. They believe that God is going to ignore everything he said in the past and save everyone. So when they think of their relationship with God, their whole thought is, it really doesn't matter. God's going to bless everybody anyway because he's a God of love. The response is, you don't need to do anything. Just trust that God is going to love us as a liar. And yet the gospel, Jesus offers no hope to the person who thinks that God has lied about judgment and about truth and about righteousness and about sacrifice. See, neither of these are true. The biblical God, the God of this African man, the God of Philip, the God of Isaiah, and the God of Jesus is holy and loving. And only God could figure out how to solve that. How does a holy God who expects us to to never have sinned And to have honored him with the choices we've made. Because remember, sin is not accidental. Sin is a choice. How does a holy and loving God balance this all together? He did it by sending his son on the longest of journeys to bring us the most precious of gifts. God was so holy, he could not ignore evil. And he was so loving, he just couldn't punish us for it. So he gave us a choice. A choice that gives you and I a radically new identity. As strange as this is, there was an author who lived many, many years ago who really understood the truth of the gospel. His name was Charles Dickens. If you've ever had the privilege of reading Dickens' writing, you'll get that this is a man like Victor Hugo who understood what it means to be redeemed. And he wrote a beautiful story called The Tale of Two Cities. And it tells the story of two men Sidney Carton and Charles Darnay. Both fell in love with the same woman, but the woman chose Charles over Sidney. They get married and they have children, and Charles Darnay is a revolutionary, and he's arrested, taken to prison, and he's going to be executed. Sidney, who looks somewhat like Charles and is still passionately in love with Charles' wife, decides that he's going to solve this issue, so he steals into prison. He switches places or tries to with Charles, but Charles won't have it. So Sidney does what any good red-blooded man does and knocks Charles out and changes clothes with him and has the guards take Charles out, who they think is Sidney. And he has entered into his freedom. Sidney's freedom passed to Charles, and Charles' punishment passed to Sidney. But there's a young seamstress in the prison, and she too is awaiting her execution for being a radical against the government. And she knew Charles previously, and so she begins to have a dialogue with him, and in the dialogue she realizes that Charles doesn't remember their 
their mutual experiences, and she figures it out. She realizes that it's not Charles and that Sidney is willingly taking Charles' death for him. So she says something along the lines of, Stranger, I've been feeling I'm not able to face my death alone. She asks him a beautiful question. She says, But could I hold your hand? Because if someone is brave and as loving as you holds my hand, I think I'll be okay. And Sydney responds, My poor sister, I will hold your hand to the last. And Dickens' beautiful novel got Christmas. But the God of the universe came and said, I'm going to switch places with you. You take my freedom. I'll take your punishment. You see, church, the long walk was the most beautiful part of the gift, wasn't it? Can Christmas really be about death and be beautiful? Absolutely. Because if you leave the baby in the manger, you've misunderstood why he came. He came to become the man that would save the world, and he held our hand through the entire journey to give us strength to face our own death, knowing that he would deliver us. Such a brave, loving man. Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And Isaiah 53, 11. After the suffering of his soul, listen to the promise. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. The, dis- the suffering servant took a discouraged heart, a childless mother, and he took a broken heart a sinner deserving of death. And he says to the childless mother, what God has in store for you will fulfill you in a way that even children couldn't. And to the discouraged broken heart, which you have shattered, I will give you mine if you will give me yours. So at Christmas, if you leave here today not understanding the gift of a lifetime that's available to you by simply saying, yes, Lord, then we will have missed Christmas its entirety. For those of us who have exchanged the gift of our broken, discouraged hearts for the heart of Christ, may we sing praises for the rest of our lives that the long journey was the greatest part of the gift. But for those of you who have never, and the Lord is speaking to you this morning, I would ask you, when you leave this room today, come back to the back corner. Come find me. I'll be there. Our elders will be there. Some of our staff will be there. It is okay to humble yourself and accept the gift that came after such a long journey. It's the gift of Christmas. It's the gift of the gospel. All praise goes to Jesus. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.